0: Greetings, I'm Jean Mizutani. Welcome to today's edition of Disability, Inc. Today's topic is disability in the media. It's fascinating because media is all around us like the air we breathe and it plays a very significant role in the development of our perceptions and social norms. Our guest today is Matt Conlin. Matt is a digital accessibility fellow, adjunct professor and speaker at the CUNY School of Professional Studies. From the arts to higher education, Matt has advised how to create inclusive spaces. He is a Fordham University and CUNY School of Professional Studies alumnus and is currently enrolled in an advanced certificate program for youth studies for youth development work. I first met Matt when I was looking for a panelist for a symposium and was fascinated by his thoughts on disability in the media. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for having me. So tell me, how did you get interested in this subject?
1: Well, I uh, I studied film in undergrad as a communications concentration. Uh, my classes were mostly focused on screenwriting, film, and film editing. Um, as a person with a disability, I started noticing that uh, media literacy and cultural trends in disability, um, were not as present as I would like them to be in the media. Um, and so I kind of went from there and focused on the representation of the disability community within that kind of media. Um, there wasn't as much representation in the disability community and that's partly by omission and Mm -hmm. partly by misrepresentation. Um, An early example would be uh, the misrepresentation in William Shakespeare's Richard III. Uh, He was a power-hungry heir to the throne uh, who eventually becomes king of England when his older brothers die. Um, What's focused on his character is that he has scoliosis and Shakespeare used that disability to show that he was both corrupt in body and in his morals. Uh, he was mostly depicted as a villain, uh, that he was twisted, and that's both literal and figurative for Shakespeare. Wow. So do misrepresentations like this influence society?
0: I'm assuming they must.
1: Yes, uh, because misrepresentations take root in our minds um, and that they create a norm and stereotype, obviously a person with scoliosis is not automatically a corrupt villain, uh, but what But what if that was your society's only frame of reference? So, uh, you may be influenced by that, for example. People with disabilities face social stigma and misunderstanding in our culture, which sometimes stems from people getting the wrong idea of what disability actually is. Uh, The wrong idea is often based on what they see and hear from the movies, books, newspaper, internet, and even advertising. Since media is a quick format to share this information with a large amount of people, uh, people are bombarded by misrepresentation every day. So what else would they understand? Uh, Most people don't have that time to take a deliberate step to research, and they don't have the time to do that research and self-educate. So they learn and assume based on the information that is delivered to them through these forms of media. Without that proper representation, They form inaccurate perceptions of another person's experience or culture, and those perceptions, wrong or not, become the standard. It is not someone's fault for that misunderstanding. If disability is not in their lives in some kind of personal way, they will only know what is shown or delivered to them through other formats. And media platforms have been cited as one key site for the reinforcement of negative stereotypes. Right, so this is a good opportunity for people to check their thinking and recognize
0: that because of this bombardment, um, we're making certain assumptions, and they're certainly not always correct. Going back in history, I hear that Hollywood developed a moral ethics code in the 1920s and 30s. What was it, and what was its purpose?
1: Uh, Yeah, the uh, Hollywood Hays Code. Uh, It was a set of moral ethics developed in the late 1920s and 30s, and it was a precursor to the Hollywood rating system that you know now, for example, G, PG, PG PG-13, Rated R. Uh, William Harrison Hayes was the president of the Motion Picture Producers and Distributors of America from around 1922 to about 1945. His morality code uh, was designed to encourage proper and respectful cultural norms, and so what it did was it would show uh, what would be considered bad behavior or unacceptable in society and would remove anything else that they thought might be too sensitive or offensive for people. So in code, for example, the invisibility laws or the invisibility clause um, that didn't want to upset sensibilities, for example, people with disabilities out on the street, people with disabilities would not be within Hollywood films as well. Mm. Um, This is significant because before The Hollywood Code there was a film called Freaks by director Todd Browning. It was released in about 1932 about a circus troupe of people with disabilities. I would say about 80 to 90% of the actors in that film were actual people with disabilities. And it was the first major time that disability was represented. Represented, sorry by people with disabilities, and it set a tone of how they would be represented in media, whether it was a stereotype, a villain, or otherwise, for decades further. Um, There was one exception uh, where people with disabilities were sort of the good guys at that time, and that was in The Wizard of Oz, when you see Munchkinland. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, that was also a stereotype in and of itself, but it was a slightly more positive representation and pretty rare for the Hollywood Code.
0: How terrible though that the first movie featuring people with disabilities was called Freaks. I mean, talking about
1: setting a cultural norm, how horrible (laughs) is that? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, Things did slowly change after World War II. There was an increase in disability representation that was mostly due to having veterans come back from the war, and an increase of people with disabilities within society. So you would start seeing characters with disabilities in the late 1940s through to about the 1960s, and in particular the film uh, The Best Years of Our Lives, which cast another disabled actor playing a war veteran. Finally. But non-disabled actors are still
0: cast in parts portraying characters with disabilities most of the time, right?
1: Right. So when did that start to change? I would say in the late 1970s, literature and screenwriting starting to get a little better. One example would be Children of a Lesser God, which the play came out in about 1980, was written in 1979. It was a watershed production for two reasons. The part of Sarah was always cast with a deaf actress. Uh, In the past, it was Phyllis Frelich, Elizabeth Quinn, Linda Beauvais, and last year with Lauren Ridloff. Uh, in the movie, it was famously Marley Matlin, who was significant because she won the Oscar for her performance. Perhaps as important as the casting was the script, because the two characters, one hearing and one not, Sarah is a janitor at the school, and she refuses to engage with hearing John, the new teacher, but they soon begin to communicate over time. John tries to encourage Sarah to talk aloud rather than using her ASL because he thinks it's standoffish with the other people at the school. They develop a romantic relationship at some point and it starts well, but it gets uglier as he keeps trying to get her to talk aloud. She finds him irritating and patronizing, of course, because he's not respecting her culture. Because of her deaf identity, he does not respect her agency and the same the same as he would with a hearing person he wants to like normalize her so the play ultimately showed that her character developing her confidence over time she demands the same level of respect not to be like hearing people but to be herself someone who uses asl the fact was that hollywood made a major movie with a deaf actor in the role one of the first times a disabled actor portrayed a character with a disability that was their own disability.
0: Right. Now, I remember when I saw it. It's an amazing movie, and Marley Matlin did an amazing job. Anyone that hasn't seen Children of a Lesser God, please look for it tonight because yes. it, it's just that great. It's oh, it's fantastic. I, it's been many years since I saw it, but I'll never forget it. Well, so that was great that a deaf actress finally got to perform a character that was also deaf. Why is it so important for people
1: with disabilities to be the ones to portray people with disabilities? Authenticity. Uh, Misrepresentation could cause stereotypes. We want to avoid stereotypes. When people are playing a part that they have a lived experience with, there's an honesty there. It's a self-agency and it's self-respect. And the performance itself is often better because it is more accurate. Another major reason is because it increases visibility. Now, when we talk about disability, we talk about visible and invisible disability. But in terms of visibility on screen, I'm talking about people with disabilities being out in the open and people familiarizing themselves with that experience. So it, it basically will lessen the discomfort that people have as a result of seeing people with disabilities or interacting with people with disabilities and being familiar with their culture. Right. Along with the problem of too few actors with disabilities being
0: cast, the representation of people with disabilities in the media is also really low. A white paper commissioned by the Rutterman family examined the representation of people with disabilities and media and found that even though 20% of the U.S. population has a disability, fewer than 2% of all television characters do. How does this omission influence
1: society's thinking? The problem in portrayal, or in that case, the absence of portrayal and the depiction of disability in that media uh, plays a major role in molding public perception of disability. The perceptions portrayed in this media directly influence the way people with disabilities are treated outside of that media, in current society. It's as if they don't exist, or that there is a misunderstanding of what they need or their rights as citizens. That conversation of diversity should include people with disabilities in entertainment as a civil rights issue, and it needs to be addressed more systematically by the media and the entertainment industry because of its tremendous influence. Right, now that I hear your description, I understand why. Authentic representation of
0: people with disabilities in the media is actually a foundational component to an inclusive society. How should it work?
1: Well, the depiction of disability in the media uh, does play a major role in molding public perception. Perceptions portrayed in the media directly influence the way we are treated as people. Every culture, whether it's the United States, Europe, or otherwise, has their norm or hegemony, uh, which is the default assumption or predominant influence. So when people write stories or create films or create a piece of art, they are using a default language and default belief system without even being aware of it. It's a subconscious thing. They're not explicitly taught anything else, and they don't know any other ways of expressing minority status. So you're missing out on an opportunity to learn about a culture and to really understand it from its authentic side. Wow. And this
0: is true in all forms of media. Print media, broadcasting, publishing, advertising,
1: even photography, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Absolutely. Uh, The United States, unfortunately, still considers the default white, straight, able-bodied, etc. Now, if you look at urban settings. Uh, we're familiar right. <laughs> with like, New York City it's not here. not really the default anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. And statistically, uh, that's not really right. the majority of US citizens. Uh, but that's what we're taught to learn. Um, so when we think about a person, we don't assume disability. And it's not our first guess that somebody might have one. So if we tell stories about disability through media representation, we're more likely to understand that human experience in a way that will open our interpersonal relationships with people with disabilities. Media platforms have been cited as a key site for reinforcement of negative images and ideas in regards to people with disabilities. So the industry needs to recognize that it has shortcomings and take the time to recognize how significant that is. The conversation of diversity, including representation and participation of people with disabilities in entertainment, as we said before, it was a civil rights issue. Right. And uh, fortunately, as a direct response, I have seen more increasing examples worldwide of people with disabilities pursuing their own media projects, such as creating film series centered on disability issues, radio programs and podcasts, like this one, uh, designed around and marketed towards those with disabilities. Right, so the digital world is the great equalizer
0: here, and I think that's a fabulous opportunity, don't you?
1: Oh, absolutely. The digital world has changed so much of how we interact internationally and nationally.
0: Mm. So, if the media industry does embrace uh, authenticity through proportionate and accurate representation of people with disabilities, that means the social default norm automatically improves too. Yes. Can you give me an example?
1: Well, a typical narrative for people with disabilities um, is the pity stories. It's about the, disab- the disabled person community, about the giver, not the person with it. For example, uh, able-bodiedness or people with able-bodiedness wish the person with disability had the same model of health or level of ability that they have, so they feel a need to assist and help even when they're not requested. So what should people know about pity? I think we should redefine the idea of inspiration as connected to this. If we admire and acknowledge what people have had to experience where they get there, but not feel that IT TAKES COURAGE BECAUSE OF THEIR DISABILITY, THEN WE'RE REALLY GIVING THEM MORE RESPECT. SO THE DIFFERENCE BETWEEN A RESPECTFUL INSPIRATION OR RESPECTFUL ACKNOWLEDGEMENT OF DISABILITY, RATHER THAN PANDERING, uh, IS TO AVOID THE HAVE-NOT LANGUAGE. ALL THIS DISCRIMINATION uh, IS THE SAME whether it's poor disability public housing and the inspiration based on this should be uh, on the effort of their responsibility, the effort of their work, not on the hardships of what they haven't had or what people think they aren't capable of. Hmm. How can the industry improve their messaging? Uh, For example... um, Plenty of ways, right? Yes, uh, I think focus on language uh, used in newspapers or documentaries uh, and to acknowledge and reveal default language. Uh, it's sort of like when we have an interaction with people. Uh, when you say like, hey, may I help you? Uh, only if the answer is yes, then how may I help you? I think it's similar in the way we script for film and movies, the way we talk about it in newspapers or interview people for news radio or for news TV. hmm Uh, The language is setting that standard, the wrong language uh, is setting the wrong standard. So we need to listen to the people with the lived experience. Recognize that the default language is currently based on the ideal of a perfectly operational human body, and that that must change. That belief that analyzes that body as a machine that must be fixed is known as the medical model of disability. Mm, Yeah, I've heard a little about the medical model and the social model. and There's a big difference, isn't there? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The medical model focuses on the fault being within the body or the fault on the person with the disability. The social model is saying that our buildings are not accessible, our cities are not accessible, and our practices are not accessible, and that is what's actually disabling. So it's not the body that's at fault, it's the structure and the system that's at fault.
0: Right. We had a wonderful live stream presentation about a week ago and the guest said that we're not trying to fix the person when we provide AT, we're fixing the environment. Exactly. Very easy, isn't it? Sounds easy. (laughs) It does sound easy. Where do we see good changes happening?
1: I feel like you could find it in a lot of different places. When we're talking about media, I like to use film, it's Mm -hmm. where I come from with my background. A few examples would be Finding Dory, or the television series Speechless, or The Good Doctor. Whether the actor uh, has a disability or not, these shows and movies have taken the time to do the research. They're not perfect, Mm -hmm. but it's getting there, and these are much more positive representations of disability. And the assets of having a disability on society in whole. And now, because there's more awareness, I do think that
0: well, people with disabilities are very likely to tune in to see a show that features a character with a disability, just to see how accurate it is, and just to see how that person is being portrayed. Mm-hmm. I remember when Speechless um, first started, it was like
1: that, and it had pretty positive
0: reviews. Oh yes, have it you definitely seen did. It?
1: I have seen it, and. Honestly, um, they really did take the time. They spoke with mothers of people with disabilities for the character of the mother. Um, and they have done casting with people with actual disabilities in that show as well. So they, they've taken that time to respect and understand the culture. And even though the scripting focuses so much on disability and not necessarily family dynamic, It's so much better than the shows we've had in the past. It's a new normal. It is a new normal. There are many
0: strong role models these days, such as Selma Blair, Lady Gaga, Michael J. Fox, or Niall DeMarco. Um, They speak publicly about their disabilities, and as a result, they're often seen as representatives of others
1: with the same disability. Is that fair? You know, it's... It's a balancing act. Um, people need to find a voice that suits them. They have chosen this career as something that they want to do, but they didn't necessarily choose to become advocates for people that have the same experiences. Marley Matlin uh, had won the Oscar in a previous year, uh, but then a further year she presented uh, using speech rather than using ASL. And she was met with backlash for that. She was criticized by both the disability community and the non-disability community alike. That's terrible. It is. (coughs) What a shame. (laughs) You know, she has been acknowledged for being an advocate and has accepted awards for it as well. And she had said in one of her um, acceptance speeches for being recognized as an advocate uh, that she said, I don't necessarily want to be the spokesperson of the deaf community. I am a spokesperson for the needs that hearing hearing, uh, impaired people face So basically, in my mind, her quote is quite clear and makes that important distinction She does not represent the group fully and she could do her own things uh, But she believes in and acts on the advocacy because it's important to her and important to other people that experience experience what she experiences That fine line between just being a person that wants to live their life and understanding your responsibility to your community is not an easy line to walk. Personal choice is the key here. Uh, You have to recognize that you're on that stage and that some people will throw that responsibility on you even if you don't want it. Um, But just be cognizant of people who might be looking up to you. be cognizant that not everybody is there yet with understanding, and one representation might set the tone for how that person interacts with that community. You know, it's, it's an unfortunate thing, it's but it's... It's a burden, isn't it? It is. You know, it's what they say, one person with a disability is one person with a disability. It's not one person with a disability represents the whole community. But for some reason, people tend to think that they had one bad interaction, and everyone must be like that. Hmm. I would, I would hope not. I would hope not, too. But it happens, unfortunately, sometimes. In some ways, I think the invisible
0: disabilities might be the most difficult to introduce. Um, in fact, I know it's the most difficult to introduce. <laughs> yeah. What does the media need to know about representing people with invisible disabilities?
1: I would say recognize the complexity. Uh, In many cases, invisible disabilities are more stigmatized or misunderstood, especially cognitive or psychological ones. Uh, Use careful and respectful language when you're reporting news stories. Carefully review a role before accepting it or writing it, for that matter. And, you know, we've had cases of misrepresentation of mental health on the news quite recently. In a case of psychological health, if a role feels one-dimensional, where it doesn't show that depth of the human experience, uh, examples of traits that you typically see um, or are reported in some ways are people who are angry, crazy, violent... They could be moody or incapable of empathy, affection, communication. They have this narrative of being an outsider, um, and that is a stereotype and it's hurtful. And Hollywood and news media likes the edginess of these characteristics, the edginess of these symptoms that come from the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Health. Wow. Um, But rarely does this convey the actual nuanced experience of having some kind of uh, invisible disability. And they're not building around it. I mean, just about everyone
0: at one time or another could be described as angry or crazy or even violent. They're not building around it, so you're not seeing the whole character.
1: No, not at all. Carrie Fisher actually said in her uh, wishful drinking (laughs) Great title. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, Uh, it was a book, and then she did her one-woman show on off Broadway. At that point, Uh, she said, "Here are some of my symptoms: angry, moody." She's like, "Who hasn't experienced being angry or moody? Exactly, especially before their coffee, (laughs) right?" Um, So, movies like Split or Black Swan um, might be entertaining or thrilling for many people. But it only gives a one-dimensional performance in that sense. It's not really uh, authentic. It's driven for plot or it's driven for excitement or thrills or entertainment. But it could actually be hurtful for people and especially people with psychiatric disability or mental health disorders.
0: But you know, I do realize that there are a lot of characters that obviously have a mental health issue or that might not be front and center. Like, take the series house.
1: Yes, absolutely. The series house is a good example of that. And they even talk about um, addiction, depression, and other issues as well. You know, and it, I feel like those characters had several seasons to develop. Right. Uh, That's actually one of the benefits that TV sometimes has over film is that you can see the growth of a character and you can see their inner workings a little bit more clearly because there's more time to dedicate to expressing it well. Film is such a short and succinct medium. Exactly. Now what about books? Books... I've often felt that if a book is written properly in terms of disability representation it tends to be the best format, (laughs) Um, mostly just because the author has more time to sit on it, the author has more time to do the research. It has to go through a much heavier review process Mm -hmm. by a publisher to make sure that everything is clear and Mm -hmm. it goes well. And it, it gives you more of an insight into the character's motivations and feelings. Film, it's all outward. You can't actually see what's inside a person's mind. In a book, you could actually read the person's thoughts, and often authors use that as one of their methods. I think reading the
0: person's thoughts would be an amazing technique to explore learning disabilities, because that's not something that you can see, and it's certainly nothing to joke about, and I do wonder how that could be portrayed accurately.
1: Yeah, it's you know, it's true. Um, there are many invisible biz- INVISIBLE DISABILITIES, SORRY, uh, GETTING AHEAD OF MYSELF THERE, THAT ARE NEUROLOGICAL, COGNITIVE, AND I THINK, FOR EXAMPLE, IN A BOOK, YOU CAN READ A PERSON'S THOUGHTS. Um, AND IF YOU CAN PUT INTO WORDS HOW A PERSON MIGHT ACTUALLY THINK OR FEEL, IT MAKES A DIFFERENCE. So. one example I can think of is The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, mm-hmm. where you're actually going through the character's the main character's feelings and his thought process and he shares the way he thinks with the reader. That's one of the most important things about that book and then eventually translated into a Broadway play, they used the background staging to show his inner feelings. So they used film media and cartooning and drawings and diagrams to show how he thinks and how he feels in every given moment of that stage play.
0: That got wonderful reviews. So this is a, pro- a plus. This is a good thing, a positive thing for our people because as soon as you can put yourself in someone else's... <laughs> body
1: and see through their eyes, you're so much better off, and people really loved it. Oh, people really do love it, and I know for a while they were talking about uh, how to cast it, Right. and there were people with disabilities in the casting process, which is another thing that we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. that the casting of people with disabilities is such an important thing for that representation because they do understand that lived experience, What kind of barriers do actors with disabilities face? It's both structural and uh, systematic. Well, for example, first off, obviously, if the building is not accessible, Mm -hmm. uh, the building that the auditions are being held in is not accessible, then then you're not going to be able to do the performance. You're not going to be able to get there and actually audition for that role. Uh, Another thing is to make sure that you clarify in your casting call that it's open Mm -hmm. to everybody so they feel it's a safe space. And also not to write people off when they come in and they do have a disability and it's not exactly what you were thinking for that character. Because oftentimes there are characters that disability is not implicitly written into the character, but it would not affect the show or the movie either way, whether or not the person had a disability, right? Right. So imagine you have two characters, um, one is disabled and one's not, or you have two characters where neither is implicitly disabled, but it doesn't affect their personality. It doesn't affect the scripting at all. Uh, When an actor comes in, just keep an open mind that maybe the disability can be written into the show. Maybe it doesn't have to be, but just because you didn't imagine that character is having a disability doesn't mean that the person with a disability isn't the best casting for that personality.
0: Ah, that's an eye-opener. That's wonderful. So this goes way above and beyond simply looking for a person with a disability to portray a character with a disability. This is keeping an open mind and saying this might work even though this wasn't this wasn't part of the plan.
1: Right you know and I think An example is when we were saying Michael J Fox right Right. he whether or not he had his Parkinson's diagnosis prior to being on his television series you know it wasn't implicitly written into his characters that he has a disability Um, you know and I think for a while they were trying to hide it uh, hide his mobility issues Mm -hmm. but at a given point, did it really matter? I mean, he was still playing the same character. He was still representative of a group of people. um, But it wasn't implicitly written into his character when the TV series began. And then, of course, later on, he had his own Michael J. Fox show uh, where it was written into the character. And it so it, it balances. Sometimes you can have a casting where it's a person with a disability playing a non-disabled person or a person where it doesn't matter whether or not they have a disability and in other times it's a person with a disability playing a person with a disability. There are no limits. The limits are in our minds. Mm-hmm. How can society do a better job? I would say our current system is to adjust retroactively uh, to add plans to give access to people with disabilities after the fact. After the fact. And I understand that you can't go back in time and do it right the first time. Um, Our city, like for example, New York City can be a little bit older, there are older buildings and in cases like that obviously it has to be retroactive. But for something like media, where we're constantly producing new content, and that new content Mm. does not have to be based on anything that previously existed, there is no reason not to make it part of your system. (laughs) No excuse. There's no excuse. It's not a structural thing, like a building that has to be repaired. It is something that you are designing and creating as it comes to you. It's all in our minds, so as we try to create the new norm,
0: we Mm -hmm. need to be very, very aware of that.
1: Absolutely. It's incorporating it from the beginning, that the accessibility features are there, and that it's standard. The only way for us to gain acceptance is to change those platforms and structures, and people's attitudes and language will shift on its own. Natural change. Natural change. It takes
0: a long time.
1: It does, but exposure, right. uh, thinking about
0: it. And awareness. Awareness. This might actually be giving a producer or a director an idea out there. <laughs> Who knows? I hope that's the case. I hope so. Whoa. Do you have any last thoughts, any advice for us all?
1: You know, that's a good question. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a heavy thought, isn't it? Um, I guess just actively engage with people with disabilities people with disabilities are like everyone else in our society myself included and uh, I have cerebral palsy for example and disability is in every facet of our culture it starts with offering these opportunities it starts with creating that dialogue and I think that disability is so often represented as a, neg- a negative rather than a positive. But there are a lot of things that come with a lived experience of disability. For example, empathy, um, understanding, uh, cross-cultural differences. You know, it's it's not an experience that people can't understand. It's an experience that people I think might be afraid sometimes to discuss because they're afraid of offending or hurting or they just feel uncomfortable because they're not so familiar with it but just talk to people like they're people understand their experience and you never know you might learn something I love that
0: those are that's great advice Thank you very much, Matt. This has been informative and eye opening. <laughs> Thank you, Jean. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks.